people from enslavement to Egypt. When God visits his people, he's always with them in power. He does great things. And what Mary is ex- particularly excited about is, is not only the gift of the, ch- of the Christ child, as, as amazing as that is. She's recognizing that God is present with her. He has looked with favor upon her. God enjoys Mary. God communes with Mary. God has visited Mary. And this, is, this has spoken to the deepest need in her life. Um, see if I can kind of illustrate this a bit, but a couple of summers ago, um, uh, I, uh, we, we had a chance as a family uh, to visit my, I have a cousin who has been in, involved in organic uh, farming for years. Before it was ever, ever, ever fashionable, my cousin Brad Johnson in Live Oak, California, right next to that metropolis called Gridley. Um, Gridley has a Taco Bell now, and we're all, we're all excited about that. But uh, Live Oak is even smaller than Gridley. Uh, there's, I think, only one Mexican restaurant in Live Oak. That's it. Um, that's all that's going on. So Live Oak's a tiny little town, but my cousin Brad, uh, whose father, my uncle Chalmer, was a farmer, and Brad took on the farming w- world, and uh, he, he is an organic farmer. And some of you know our daughter Amaris, when you say the word organic, her eyes just, oh. yeah. Nothing could be brighter and more wonderful than the word organic. It's transformative uh, in her life. And she, we talked about her working the farm at Brad's farm. And she just could not, it was like she got the Willy Wonka golden ticket. It was amazing. So I dropped off Aubrey and Amaris a couple of summers ago, and uh, Brad was busy. Uh, harvest is going on. Uh, they're harvesting tomatoes, cucumbers, squash, that kind of stuff. And so he has people there helping him harvest stuff. It's got, you got to get it. You got to, it's, it's going on. So I thought I would just drop off the girls and then sort of, hey, Brad, great to see you. Thanks so much. And I was staying up the road visiting my mom and uh, up to about 45 minutes north. And so I was dropping off the girls, and I did not expect, but Brad said, oh, no, no, hang on, man, we got lunch, come on, let's get together. So we get in, in their little house, and Brad um, has been baking bread. Um, by the way, if you're new here, I always use food illustrations. I'm always going to get you hungry for, for lunch. Um, and Brad had many loaves of this beautiful wheat sourdough bread that was just coming out of the oven, and the thing about this bread was, when we got into the kitchen, he's all excited, and Amaris is there, and they're cutting, the girls are cutting the bread up. And he points out to the back of his house, and he shows me a field, and uh, he says, this wheat was grown right there. And he says, and he described what the wheat was, gave me the name of it, and it's sort of this rare, special wheat, you know? I go, wheat's wheat, right? Oh, no. Special wheat. And then he shows me the best tomatoes of his whole, of his whole crop, these huge beefsteak tomatoes. And as the bread comes out hot, we get butters and mayonnaise, and we, get, and we have just tomato sandwiches in my cousin's house. And there he is sitting on a chair in his jeans, and, his, you know, and, he's, 
And what was remarkable was not only just eating this wonderful bread and this, these wonderful tomatoes, but to enjoy my cousin's presence. He wanted to talk with us. He wanted to be with us. He wanted to interact with us. He was, it was a busy day, but he took time out. He was glad we were there. And I was thinking about this moment with my cousin, and I was enjoying the, this unique feature uh, that I really, as a modern person, do not experience very much. I get bread from aisle four at Safeway. I don't get bread from a wheat field out there over there. I don't, that doesn't, that's not my experience. And what was interesting is that I'm actually able to enjoy this bread and look at the man who, I know God made it happen, but look at the man who was behind this bread. And that is a re- unique experience in which you can finally give thanks and enjoy the presence of the person who is now giving a gift. They didn't go on, you know, I mean, you can order a gift for someone on a website and send it to them, right? Next day mail, great. Nice gesture, good. But for him to labor and then to provide this for me and my daughters, it was amazing. There I was with the source of this goodness. And it enhanced the whole experience. Now, I want to contrast that with what I might do. Let's say I was in a big city like Portland. And what I might do is get up on my my smartphone, my Yelp application. How many Yelps here? Can you give me a little bit? Oh, good. All right. The rest of you go, what is Yelp? All right. Well, Yelp is a... It rates restaurants, rates grocery stores, rates everything, right? And imagine if I went to a big city like Portland and I go into Yelp and say, give me the best bakery in Portland. And then I'd get this, these four stars and it would tell me this. And then I, in my own cleverness, would connect the address and then uh, Google Maps would help me and I would feel so intelligent because I would find, and by the way, you should see me in a big city like Portland. I can find the food places. And I would find the bakery, the bakery, the bakery. And then I would find the bread, and then I'd figure out, and then maybe they might have tomato sandwiches there or at some restaurant. What's interesting is this. When you receive a gift, a gift from someone, you can't congratulate yourself. Think about that. When you receive a gift from someone, as opposed to finding your own way to a Portland bakery, it's a very different experience. To receive a gift from someone connects you with the person's presence and what they think about you. You can go to the fanciest restaurant and have a great experience, but you will never meet the chef unless you personally know them and they come out to table four to meet you. You will have a great experience, but that chef is not interested in you as a person. You're just steak tartare or whatever you've ordered. That's an old dish that hardly anybody serves anymore. Some of you are looking at me like, what on earth is this guy talking about? (laughs) What I mean by that is that we live as modern people and we are disconnected from the source of all goodness. That doesn't mean we don't have good experiences. That doesn't mean you don't find great restaurants. What I'm, what I'm, connect, what I'm trying to uh, help us understand here is that Mary's 
prayer song is a connection with the source of all goodness. She's tapped into the source of all goodness. Some of you have more money in your left pocket right now than Mary ever had her whole life. She she is not concerned about her socioeconomic status in the world. Life has changed right now because God has visited her from on high and things are going to change in this troubled world. And the source of this change comes from God alone. You see, when we receive a gift, we cannot congratulate ourselves. You cannot affirm your own skills at finding some place. Gifts come, and they point to the giver. And here in this text, we have the gift of of presence. God's presence is with Mary. And what what we're seeing here really is Mary's response. And so let me just kind of quickly move through these things. Uh, The gift of God's presence finds a response in those who long to delight in God. We've kind of covered that one already. And then in those who can't help themselves. There's a response to the... For God, in God's presence for those who can't help themselves, you see. And in those who live by promises. Those are kind of the three things, the themes I sort of see developing in this, in this prayer song. Let's, let, let's just listen to verse 46 and 47 and following. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. The first word in the, in the Latin is magnificat, and that's where we get the famous title for this prayer, the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary lives in a world of souls and spirits. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So there it is, that the presence of God, God's attention, is a strange way of describing God is looking in a particular direction. How's that possible? God is omnipresent. God is looking. God has... His, his countenance, his, he's, he's attentive to her. It's just amazing. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. Verse 49, for he who is mighty, the mighty one who does deeds, has done great deeds for me, and holy is his name. This is a prayer of adoration. And it's quite remarkable. I don't think there's a single request in this prayer of adoration. Not a single, would you, could you, will you, I need this. Not a single request. By the way, in in your prayer life, it's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard for us to just adore God alone. There's something found in that, is that, that when we concentrate on God alone, Something happens to our circumstances and our problems. When God becomes big and massive and beautiful and wonderful, something happens. It's almost beyond description. But our troubles become bearable, purposeful, and just they just find a better perspective. So what we find is that there's a certain person who responds 
to the news of God's presence, to the gift of God's presence. There's a certain person who responds to that. There are people who don't respond to it. It's interesting. You watch the ministry of Jesus uh, coming into towns, doing miracles, providing God's presence in power. And in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, Jesus turns and he says to two towns, he says to them, he says, Woe to you, for if the miracles that had been done in you that were done would have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. That is a hyperbole but it's a dramatic way of expressing that they had received a visitation of God's presence in healing power, and they yawned. They demanded of Jesus, do more. Manifest God's presence when we tell you. Show us by what authority you do these things. They were offended at his ability to heal. But there is a humble, broken, poor-in-spirit person whom God has already begun to work inside them. It's, it's, a, it's an inside job. He is working in them, and they may feel very far from God. They may feel very far from the kingdom. I was talking with someone just the other day about Pharisees in the church. Uh, Pharisees uh, feel very close to God. They're, they're fine. They're morally aligned with what God requires of them, so they think. And they're doing fine. They're not troubled. But the non-Pharisee, the person who is sensitive in their conscience, God's law is bearing down upon them. Well, I must not belong in church. Uh, wow, I, I can't do that. That's not my heart. Uh, I've tried. Non-Pharisees often, sadly, before they can even understand that they're close to the kingdom, can give up. They may go for years outside the church, wandering aimlessly, trying to find their way in life. But they tried church. They tried what they thought was Christianity. But what they were really trying was just moralism. So when we look at at Mary here, I hope your heart is being revealed to you. It bugs me to read Mary's song. (laughs) I mean... I have to say, have I really rejoiced in the kinds of categories that Mary rejoices in? Um, It is a convicting experience to read, uh, to experience this woman's heart as God is seen as the sole solution to the world's problems. I am a modern person. I like engineers. I like buildings. I like solutions. I like business manuals. I like principles, points, PowerPoints. You know, we couldn't just call it a slideshow. It's a PowerPoint. You know? 
you experience my lecture on how a F-18 flies. It's power, right? We are enamored with ourselves. Sorry, we are. And Mary has this holy is his name orientation. To just experience his presence and to have him visit me and to have an opportunity to now praise his name. Does that, does that describe you? Or does that describe you this morning? Is that how you woke up? Having your orange juice, drinking your coffee, taking your vitamin and said, man, I've got an opportunity to praise the God of my salvation. Do you see how slow our hearts are? Do you see how much we need the means of grace? The preacher needs preaching as desperately as you need the hearing of it, you see. We need our hearts warmed. We need our hearts revived. We need our hearts to delight in God. The gospel does this, though. Mary was waiting for God's faithfulness, signs of his faithfulness. Mary, Mary's God had not forgotten, and she has no idea how very much the center. She will be part of the drama. I mean, she's going to be in the, she's in the middle of the drama. She had no idea. She didn't ask for this. And oh, the goodness of God. Would it fall and intervene for a small remnant of people who are waiting for it? Oh, he's the God who does mighty deeds. And this is the son. In your Old Testament, People are always watching for a miracle baby, and there are miracle babies. They're always watching. Women are watching for a son. Hannah and Samuel looking, waiting, longing for a son, anticipating from the moment God promises that one will come as a warrior who will crush Satan's head. Genesis 3.15, we're waiting. Eve, it is likely, expected one of her own sons to be the Redeemer. We're waiting for the miracle baby. We're waiting for the child to be born. And a long time goes by, centuries, when Malachi closes his his book, there are some 400 years of silence. And there's a small remnant hanging on. Oh, the great glory days of David have got to return. They have never come back, and God said they would come back, and one of David's sons will be on the throne forever. It's going to happen, children, grandchildren. It's going to happen. And it is postponed, it is postponed, it is postponed. And then Gabriel walks this earth. God has not forgotten. Mary is oppressed. She's overlooked. She's part of a class of people who are probably not very noticed. And all she wants to do is worship. It's enough for her. Beautiful. The gift of God's presence finds a response in those who delight in God. And secondly, the gift of God's presence finds a response in those who can't help themselves. I think it's pretty clear, isn't it, in the passage? These are things that people can't do. Oh, there's kingdoms that come and go, and there's emperors who come and go. And But these are deep structures of society that need to be fixed. And, Jesus, and Mary says here, 
God does great things, verse 49. God is holy, verse 49. He has mercy, verse 50. His mercy is upon those who fear him, verse 51. He scatters the prideful at their thought level. This means that they, they, they experience fear, trepidation. He comes after the prideful and, and, and they, they're immobilized. He fills the hungry with good things, verse 53. He helps Israel. He remembers his mercy, verse 54. He said he would do these things, and he's going to do them through this son. And all the way back to Abraham, he's been promising these things for Abraham's offspring. Mary has this extraordinary global view of God's promises. Remember last week we talked about the pipes going through Scripture. There's at least this one pipe going all the way back to Adam. Noah and Abraham, these promises go all the way through to the book of Revelation. And Mary has a pretty big panoramic picture of what God does. Jesus, in his ministry, we begin to see him setting some things right. There's sort of a sample of the kind of thing he will do at the end of the age. Comes in and cleanses the temple. He's going to set worship right. He comes in and he, he defends the oppressed. Those who are seeking forgiveness, those who cry out for mercy, he defends them. He defends them against religious oppressors. People who disdain him for having meals with tax collectors and sinners. He's affirming God's love for them. Mary has quite a catalog of things listed here. And like I mentioned, I, I believe that we're witnessing a revival, what revival looks like. It's God-centered. J.I. Packer, I've included this on the uh, reflections in your worship folder. It's a, it's a reflection I would like you to take seriously and take home with you, discuss with your spouse, try it with your children. J.I. Packer talks about revival as God touching minds and hearts in an arresting, listen to these words, arresting, devastating, exalting way. Os Guinness uh, is an author I've been following for years. He is a, born in England, British by upbringing but lived many, many years in the United States. And the one thing he observed first about the American church, this is years ago, was he said this. He said that the, that the majesty of God rests lightly upon the American church. That the one thing Americans don't want to do is seriously pursue this God who reveals himself in Scripture. They they are easily distracted, easily swayed by the latest trend or fad. Revival is God touching minds and hearts in an arresting, devastating, exalting way. To draw them to himself through working from the inside out rather than from the outside in. Think about that. What Mary taps into here is an impossibility that she cannot do. And here's the impossibility. She can't change anything in the world. She is too small, too insignificant, 
one single person. She looks out, but she's tapped into one of the great themes of the Bible. And here's the theme. Just when the rich and the powerful think they're on thrones, God knocks them off. Just when the, those who think they're establishing kingdoms that will last forever, they are no longer around. They're no longer even on maps today. Mary's picked up on a theme called reversal. God reverses the status quo of the world, and Mary is rejoicing in it. Those who are lowly and oppressed, they are not forgotten of God. The proud who have their thrones are brought down. This imagery is really rooted in Isaiah 41. And Isaiah is addressing Israel's fear of being forgotten. They are overlooked and unloved, feeling that way. In Isaiah 41, God speaks to his people and he reminds them that he will be with them and he will restore them. They are his chosen. They are the offspring of Abraham and he calls them my friend. And he calls them from the farthest corners of the earth and he says, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Mary is borrowing that imagery from Isaiah 41 and she's saying, it's me. I'm not cast off. I'm the servant. And his eye is upon me. His countenance is upon me. I have been looked with, on, with favor. This was what the people wanted when they went to sacrifice, offer sacrifice to the tabernacle or the temple. And the priest would receive their, sac- their sacrifice. And the priest would come out and he would give them at least a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his what? Face. To do what? Shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you. That means he is his smile. May he lift you up. You may not get an answer to prayer. Your child may die. But if you have his countenance on you, you have the promise of the restoration of all things. May his countenance rest upon you and bring you peace. And Mary is connecting the great prayers of the church to herself. The presence of God is a remarkable gift. The presence is what God offers Mary. I'm going to move to another bread illustration. I don't know why I was thinking about bread this week. A long time ago, I took a group of kids to Mexico. Ensenada, it's about 90 miles south of Tijuana. And about 10 miles outside of town, the church I was serving at the time, we'd adopted this town. And we'd gone down, and we'd built basketball courts, and we'd built add-ons to rooms and houses. So we had about 30, 30 or 40 students, something like that, and uh, we were all out there in this village, in this town. And I had this idea. I had this idea. Um, our food was great. We had people come along providing us food. But, you know, these kids had never had 
from a panaderia, a Mexican bakery, a boillo. Some of you know. How many know what a boillo is? Anybody here? All right, I'm going to find a Mexican bakery on the island here. A boillo is a dinner roll that can work for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And it's like a, it's like a, again, like a French, it looks like a, something like a French bread type thing. And you crack it open, and you can fill it with things. Just a boillo with a little butter is just wonderful. It has a certain kind of taste to it. There's a chewiness to it. And it just, when you're in Mexico, it makes your day. And so I had this idea. I'm going to go into Ensenada, take the van, and I'm going to bring back about 40 boillos. And uh, I'm going to treat these kids to a little bit of local food, right? So I go, and I'm, I'm, at, the, I'm at the door of this bakery at 6 a.m. or something like that, and I'm the first in line, and I'm waiting. And a line forms behind me. Here I am, this gringo guy, and these folks are getting their daily bread. And so I went in there, and I ordered 40 or 50 dinner rolls, right? And uh, so they wait on me, and I walk out with these two massive you know, these are big, you know, they're like small loaves of bread. So I'm walking out with a ridiculous amount of bread. And I'm just excited. I've got my plans. I figured out how to do this. I'm really feeling like I did this. This is great. Well, I, I walk past all these people. And then I get back in the van, and I'm, through the window I can see them. And they are... They are poor people. And um, I think for a moment, because now I reflect back, and I wonder, I didn't see a lot of bread left when I left that place. And I wondered, the line moved a little bit, the line moved a little bit. And I had this strange and sad conviction. Because in that moment, I sort of gave myself a sense of self-congratulations. That bread didn't come from God. It came from my experience in Mexico, the years of understanding how good Mexican bakery bread can be. And I was just one clever youth pastor. And that got... I got caught up in that for a moment. And then I imagined for a moment, as I was driving back, I thought about some mother in line there who might have been thinking that when she got two boillos, and they maybe scraped enough flour together to make enough for everybody, but when she she gets these two boillos, I thought about this, it just to live really believing that that's a gift from God. I 
Have you ever been to a third world or second world or fourth world country, and have you ever seen them worship? Have you? They worship different than we do. They they worship with a vibrancy. Because when they hold bread in their hand, it may be not it, it may be something they haven't done in months. See? And so all the gifts that they get are perceived and understood as gifts. See? We're actually to pray about bread. Did you know that? We already did in this service. Give us this day our what? Daily bread. That's an expression of how utterly dependent you are on God growing the wheat, firing up the furnace or the the oven, wherever wherever it was baked, making it happen. That bread is a gift from God. And what happens in our worship is this. We lose the sense of gift. We lose the sense of God providing for us. This This is my condition. My recovery in the gospel is a recovery of a self-made person. And God's presence needs to move upon the wheat as it grows. God's presence has to be in the fire that is working in the oven. You see? That's actually how the world works. And Mary is recognizing that when when you look out at the world and its structures, the rich and the powerful... those who are entrenched in political power, those who can oppress the poor, those are changes at that level God and God alone can only do. It would be a gift from God. And Mary, it's very interesting, she speaks in the past tense as if these things have already happened. Now that's very interesting because you and I know that we're still waiting for those things to happen, aren't we? But her faith, her worship was so secure in the promises of God, she saw them as completed events through Jesus. Are you receiving the gift of your life? The gift, the gifts you enjoy? Have you forgotten the giver who provides his presence in all the pleasures and goodness you enjoy? May the blessing of the kingdom rest upon us as we remember the source of everything. May our sense of self-congratulation begin to diminish during this Advent season. We are just as desperate as anyone in this world, no matter our socioeconomic condition in this world. We are desperate for God to give something we cannot require of him. So finally, one idea is that really what we find here is that Mary is, is one who responds to, to the message because she is believing the promises. And Look at verse 55. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I want to encourage you in the promises of the gospel. I feel like I beat, I beat you up a little bit this morning. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I haven't. I hope not. 
But I want, I want you to have a bit of a gospel soak right now. I want you to really think about some important things. I want you to be stirred by the promises of God. Um, God has promised you in your conversion that you are a child of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says that to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. God gave you the gift of your conversion. You were not born of your own cleverness. You were not born uh, even because you were raised right. You were not born again because of any human device, any human strategy. You were born of God. When we think about the promises of God, we're already enjoying them because in Romans 8.14, it tells us, we are told here that we are being led by the, by the Spirit of God. If we are truly sons and daughters, God is present with us and He is leading us. He is active in your life right now. It's happening. God is present by the Spirit in you and the Spirit is doing something. The Spirit is reminding us that we were adopted as sons and daughters of the living God and he gave his spirit in us and the spirit is doing this. The spirit is aching. The spirit is crying. So you have already been given a sense of what it's like to respond to the present of Jesus or his presence. And here's what that gift looks like. That response, I should say. The response looks like this. It looks like affection. Let me just ask you, do you love Jesus? I know, you're, I know your love wanes and changes and goes up and down, but as you are here, do you love him? God put that love in your heart as a gift. You did not manufacture that. You didn't find that on your smartphone. You didn't make that happen. God gave you his presence. In you, the spirit is in you to to remind you of something extraordinary. And here it is. The spirit does not remind us of how obedient we are. Say something, somebody. Amen. The spirit does not remind us of how good we are. The Spirit reminds us that we are crying. Well, what are you accomplishing with that? You're crying because you have an affection for this heavenly Father. And you do not have the obedience you should have. But you're still crying. You are like a child who's been caught not obeying. And they cling to mom's legs. Moms, have you ever had this happen? You're trying to discipline your child. The child knows something's wrong. They've done something wrong. And they are clinging and they will not let you go. And here's what your child can only offer you. And you receive it as a good parent. Here it is. They could only offer you their affection. And do you know what? however much obedience you have in the Christian life, whatever chronology you have, however years you've logged, do you know what you have in the end? You've just got affection for your Heavenly Father. 
And there's nothing to be ashamed of, by the way. It's everything. It means that God's presence is not some abstract thing. It means he's in you. He's in you. He's working in you. And he wants you to know he's working in you. Like my cousin Brad, in that moment there eating those sandwiches, he wanted to know, he wanted us to know it was a pleasure for him to share his, his bounty with us. It was, like, it was like just fun. It was fun. And you see, when you tap into the gift of Jesus Christ, what you're tapping into is the pleasure of God, the happiness of God. God is happy to be merciful to people. And so he's given you this affection so you can know that you know. And it doesn't, wouldn't surprise me, or Nathaniel, or any of the elders here, that if you, you come across doubt in your life and you struggle with God's love for you and you're struggling to experience it, welcome, welcome to the club. And we are in this together And there are spiritual highs and there are spiritual lows. And we are here for each other. And we want to hear from you. We want to pray with you. The Bible is extraordinary in its its lavishing and in its expression of how much we've been given. And I'll just tell you, the whole New Testament is just reminders. (laughs) The whole New Testament is just a reminder. Yeah, it's really true. It's, yep, this is true and this is true and that's true. And the book of Hebrews even says that as we've gathered here, we've actually gathered in the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, chapter 12. And you, ha- you have not gathered uh, right here, actually, at 875 Aoloa Road. You've actually gathered in the, in the new Jerusalem. There's an upper story uh, called heaven. You can't see it, but their saints are there, and they're worshiping. You're the lower story of this strange city. That's for your joy. That's, that's that you would know that the presence of Jesus enthroned above, is present with us here on earth. He's present with us in our circumstances. God wants us to to enjoy that, that, that he is in the center of his people again. God has reversed and accomplished the ultimate reversal. When he was in the midst of his people in Eden, and then man was banished from God's presence. See, man's God before, man entering into God's presence now as a sinner is a problem. And God has come with a son who will now bring us back into the presence of the father who has justified us, received us, adopted us, assures us that his presence will not destroy us. We have gathered in the heavenly city, the the assembled saints above. Packer writes this, and then I'm done. He says, revival is God accelerating, intensifying, and extending the work of grace that goes on in every Christian's life. That's what the power of Jesus in our midst today 
seeks to do to accelerate, to intensify, and to extend the work of grace already at work in you. The presence of God is already in you, and now it's just a matter of experiencing it, enjoying it, acknowledging it, and and being thankful for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence